This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. This is John T. So before we get started into our second episode in the series that we've we've kicked off, we wanted to uh, let everybody know that we are doing two more uh, dating and recovery intensives. Before the end of this before, year. Yeah, before the end of 2018. So we've got one scheduled in October for females participants mm-hmm. and one scheduled early November right? Yeah. For, uh, for, for men. males, for men. And this is a little bit of change in course from what we anticipated uh, initially. We thought that we'd bring men and women together initially. Right. And the last one that we did, um, just the way it worked out with signups, it was just women. Right. And we realized that there is some preliminary work to do gender separate mm-hmm. before we address that men there and women are together. just some things that need to be discussed that couldn't be discussed with mixed genders. And we, we heard some feedback from our participants that said, uh, I was expecting to come here and have a speed dating experience with, mm-hmm. with men, and I'm really glad that I didn't because right. what I needed to talk about felt safer, right. which is room for women. And I think also with, with our uh, male friends out there in recovery, um, they need to talk about some things that would be hard to talk about with women in the room. I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll be in the room and Amy will be in the room. But apart from that... Well, we did We did have one turn to me and, and be like, all men are scum, with the exception of you, John. Right. Um, but we also had the participants saying that they were interested in a mixed gender yeah. dating in intensive part two. So yeah. maybe after the initial one where they're able to talk about, hopefully process and work mm-hmm. through some of those gender wounds um, that they were looking to do some healing in the presence of the opposite yeah. gender. Yeah. And we do have that. We do have that on our slate for 2019. Right. Um, that we want to take some people who have been through phase one and offer them a phase two. And that'll be a real, I think, kind of high performing, ready to go group because they've done yeah. some of the foundation work. So. so if you're interested in that, that sounds something like it might benefit you or somebody that you know and care about in recovery. Um, go to our website, one O-N-E, layerdeeper.com, and check it out. Um, you can see the dates. You can see the information there. If you have questions, you can email us. You can set up a phone call with us, too. And we can get right into talking about whether or not this is right for you right now. Right. So on to our episode. Uh, we talked last time about what changes for men and women in recovery, mm-hmm. and now we're going to talk about relationships. Right. And again, we're going to come from a heteronormative perspective here, um, not because this is the only; these are the only relationships that recovery affects, but this is where the bulk of our experience is right. in working with heterosexual couples. And I would say this is where um, the gender wounds, like, really bump up against each other, whereas in the um, homosexual relationships, you've got different issues that are crashing into Mm -hmm. each other, but they're not always about the gender wound and your partner being the opposite gender. Yeah, yeah, and and same-sex couples, uh, we want to get somebody on our show who is... uh, a lot more experienced in that to help us address that, um, and we're working on getting that together. so let's just dive right in. Um, you know, one of the first things that we talked about when we were planning this is that there is going to be a shift in the power dynamic mm-hmm. as soon as we 
I would say even before we start relationship work, mm-hmm. um, just when recovery starts, there's a shift in the power dynamic. Right. Sometimes, um, you know, CSATs, when we go to conferences, a lot of times CSATs will acknowledge that the person often doing the phone call is the partner, especially yeah. when it's a female partner. Yeah. Um, and, and that sometimes right there is a shift in power where uh-huh. she is tired of hearing the same story and saying, I'm not buying it this time mm-hmm. and I'm doing something different. So mm-hmm. sometimes that initial phone call for therapy is the beginning of a change in the dynamic. Yeah. And that I've, I've seen a lot of couples really get confused by that dynamic. Um, like I, I feel like I have a lot of initial sessions with my male married clients about how nagging their wife is, mm-hmm. and how she just needs to relax and she needs to she needs to back off. Mm-hmm. It didn't used to be like this, and then she read something or she talked to a friend, and now she has this mm-hmm. really big problem, and she's insistent that I change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the the power and privilege that our male married clients have to start stepping down from. Right is that this is a cooperational relationship. Well, and starting to look at even that example that you just used, the gaslighting that is in that example, that is saying, you know, she needs to calm down. Somebody told her to do this. She's kind of on a high horse right now. Instead of really acknowledging the severity and Mm -hmm. the complexity of the problem, Mm -hmm. um, you're making it about like, oh, she's so dramatic. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's gaslighting. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that uh, all men are going to come from that one-up position right. in their marriage and they're going to be gaslighting. I've, I've worked with, I think, just as many um, male married addicts who come from that position of this feels really heavy and this feels a lot more tense than is useful to me. Mm-hmm. And I just won't say anything about it to keep the peace. Right. And so sometimes we're working with... Um, Males that need to have a little more of a voice in their marriage. Uh-huh. And I would say a lot of them shy away from having a voice because they either say nothing or they scream in rage. Right. And so we really have to work on um, claiming the legitimate power instead of taking all the power in the relationship, claiming the right. legitimate Making power. Right, making it kind of an all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. Helping them have a protest that can be heard. Right. Helping them have a protest that their partner can actually respond to instead of one that becomes threatening or uh-huh. overwhelming. Right. Yeah, so the the power dynamic, as we said, is one that changes pretty quickly. So let's talk about, because I think that power dynamic for most couples, whether they're aware of it, some of them are pretty aware of it. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not very aware of it or tuned into it at all. But the power dynamic is usually there in many areas of the relationship, right? So it's there sexually, Mm -hmm. it's there financially usually, Mm -hmm. it's there emotionally, it's there physically, Mm -hmm. it's it's there in a lot of different arenas. And I would say it's usually Mm -hmm. not one-sided where one person holds all the power Mm -hmm. in all those arenas. There's usually this uh, struggle, this back and forth over power. Yeah, because we don't do a good job of teaching people, whether that's from elementary school all onward, how to share power. Yeah. Right? Power is something that you want and you want somebody else not to have. Yeah. And that is a dynamic that is not necessarily overtly taught, but it's there. It's ingrained in everything. Mm-hmm. And so when we start getting into these committed relationships, it's going to cause problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I... I think that's surprising to a lot of um, a lot of newly married people or people who are newer to intimate mm-hmm. relationships 
just how fraught it is with not not the actual back and forth that we talk about, but the emotional back and forth mm-hmm. in the relationship. And when we when we get people into recovery and we start working on the relationship, we make that back and forth as explicit as possible. Um, and one of the things that I'm looking to do as a therapist when I do that is to exhaust them with the back and forth. Right. To make them so aware that there's this there's this moment that we can't deny any longer that says the way we've been doing this is exhausting and we mm-hmm. need a different a different path. And not real productive. Yeah. Right? It yeah. just keeps them in the same cycle and the same rut that mm-hmm. they've been in. Mm-hmm. And that is exhausting and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. On the on the other side of that power dynamic, um, you know, we we've talked on and off throughout the years about some of the surprise that we can see in some of our female clients when they realize that they do have a strong opinion uh-huh. and they do have strong desires and definite um, definite vision for where things are supposed to go in their life and their relationships and how difficult that is for them to step into owning their voice right. and not feeling guilty for having one. Right. Sometimes, you know, partners really aren't aware and just think it would be so nice if I have a voice which, yes, it will be nice if you have a voice, but they don't realize that they've also contributed to not having a voice. Yeah. And that part of that, I mean, they're up against a lot of things. They're up against their own socialization that they got growing up, whatever the circumstances were. But our society really doesn't, um, it doesn't view women who have a voice. I mean, women who have a voice, we know, have to be careful about how they express that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you, and there's been like little things, sometimes you see it on Facebook or whatever, where somebody put something out and it was a female and she was Heidi and put the same thing out and she was Howard, Mm -hmm. right? And got graded very differently. Yeah. um, And was viewed very differently simply based on the gender name she attached to the paper. Yeah. And, And that's real and that happens. And I think, yeah, females have to be aware and learn how to, um, assert themselves and empower themselves without also shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. And we can talk all day about how unfair that is, but it's still a reality. That's how it is. Yeah. Um, you know, we, Jackie and I do quite a bit of conjoint couples therapy where the two of us are in the same room mm-hmm. with individual clients who are married. And um, it's been exciting for me to see with some of the men that we've worked with in that setting how, like, who, who was it that said... Oh, it was Gail Dines that said we need to eroticize equality. Oh, no, it's Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem. Um, I think I heard that through Gail Dines. Gail Dines quoting Gloria Steinem. Okay. Gloria Steinem yeah. said, um, yeah, we need to eroticize equality. And it's been interesting to see in these couples where we've talked about the shifting power dynamics, um, just how engaged these men who have been silently powerful, uh-huh. how engaged they get when they see their female spouses show up with some power. Right. Um, how interested they get in, well, what do you think about that? And what do you need there? Mm-hmm. Um, Which may not be when they first show up with some power, right? Because no. again, they don't know what to do with that dynamic. Yeah. Like if she's that powerful, she's going to leave me. Yeah. Right. Or, or something to along those lines. So initially there, there might be some fear or I've had men who will say, I wish my, my partner, my female partner was strong. Mm-hmm. I wish she would tell me what she thinks. I wish she would share her opinion with me. And when that starts, he's like, yeah, I don't like Well, that. wait a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not like that. Yeah. <laughs> Not on everything. Right. Yeah. And, and so there has to be kind of a growing into, but mm-hmm. yeah, when they start growing into that, they find that that actually is really exciting yeah. and arousing for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so so these changes that happen in relationships, as with any change, like there's a lot of initial growing pains. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I, I would say the majority of the time, it's a change into something that's much more functional, enjoyable, fun, sexy, adult, for, adult for both partners. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we we'd also talked about how um, it's really difficult to do work in a relationship without religious or family of origin scripts being getting. Like, they get in the mix. Yeah. They get in the mix. They get pushed around and oftentimes have to be unpacked and reorganized. Yeah. Um, That's incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. It is incredibly uncomfortable. And I think sometimes people, you know, maybe maybe in certain circumstances... um, want to blame the field of psychology in general, right? Mm-hmm. Or or view therapy as secular and therefore um, dangerous to my spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, but the other side of that is to see somebody, you know, a Christian counselor or a pastoral counselor or something like that, where they're just not going to question any of that and they yeah. leave it untouched, right? Yeah. Now, I think the therapist has to be clear about where their issues are and keeping those out of the room and just really letting the individual and the couple sort through and figure this out. But that also has to be the growing pains of therapy that get touched on and get rattled and shaken up. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen messages to men and women, um, whether it's explicitly from their religion of choice or the religion they were brought up in, or whether that's endemic in the culture around that, where they have messages about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, Mm -hmm. what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife that really aren't functional for them. Right. Um, you know, w- one of the examples I see a lot is um, the the male addicts that I work with coming in saying, there is so much pressure on me to be a provider because that's what it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. My wife will take care of the children and I'll be a provider. And that comes from their religious right. background. And it almost feels like a big betrayal as we start exploring options for what would be a more functional arrangement to say, hey, maybe there's some responsibility sharing we can do in right. providing. Or, you know, maybe your wife is, is equipped to be a more efficient provider for the family. Mm-hmm. And the arrangement you have right now isn't the best arrangement for the family. We're just doing it because I'm, I'm the man yeah. and you're the woman. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In, talks about... Um, the need for women to have more equality in the workplace. But she says that also includes equality for men in the home mm-hmm. and for them to really be able to unpack their nurturing, caretaking yeah. fatherhood. Yeah. And if that means that they really say, I, I want to stay home with the kids yeah. and she really wants to work, that we don't look at that as weak or unmasculine yeah. or weird. Well, it was, it was interesting. I don't remember where I heard this, but um, it might have been a podcast or the radio or something. They were talking about a, a group of men in some city that were stay-at-home dads. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how ostracized they felt at the park. Right. Like, yeah, she talks about that in that book, too. When I show up to the park with my kid, um, unlike the moms at the park, I can't sit down and strike up a conversation right. with this. Or arrange play dates. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that kind of, you know, there, there, I think there is a lot of societal forces that keep the power dynamics comfortable in the relationship mm-hmm. where it is at, even if they're not functional. Right. And that's something that the couple has to learn to turn from face to face or back to back and turn shoulder to shoulder and say, how are we going to work on this together? How am I going to support you in 
um, getting what you need. And what this means, right, is some of the initial, maybe you had conversations about roles in the marriage and how that would look when children came on board. Um, Maybe you didn't, but you just both kind of knew what they were and understood. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, we're going to be changing the rules, Mm -hmm. right? And we're going to be renegotiating contracts that were established at the time of marriage. Yeah. And sometimes we'll hear couples say, but that's not what we agreed to, right? And and I sometimes gently will just comment and say, you know, sometimes it's really hard to agree to things when you really have no idea mm-hmm. how it's going to look, you know? And I, I sometimes use the example and say, you know, I've had a couple of surgeries in my life. Um, one in particular, your wife has had this. I had to have um, half of my thyroid removed. Mm-hmm. And it it's a painful procedure. Yeah. And you don't realize how much you use your neck muscles, like in everything you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, before the surgery, I met with the surgeon. I met with the anesthesiologist. They talked about everything. They made me sign like, yes, I'm consenting to this surgery. And I know what it means. Right. And I come out of anesthesia and I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> right. It's that the, the they couldn't prepare me. I mean, they did the best they could. Well, I said yes, but my yes didn't really mean anything. <laughs> but I'm like, I didn't know I couldn't just sit myself up because that requires neck vessels. Like, you know, and had they told me that, I probably would have been like, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. So, yeah, like, we're establishing some things up front in our marriage, and those very well may need to be adjusted as the marriage progresses. Well, and, and relationships really are an ongoing negotiation. Mm-hmm. And I think that surprises a lot of people. Right. Um, like I've, I've talked to, I've talked to couples at the very beginning of their marriage when they're saying, gosh, this is hard and we fight a lot. Mm-hmm. Or my grandparents didn't do this. Well, uh-huh. your grandparents also couldn't do it. Right. Right. <laughs> like and, and I've, I've there was also, nothing to negotiate back then. I've, I've talked to couples who are three decades in and saying this is not what it was supposed to like. We should have figured this out by now. And the truth is, um, marriage is an opportunity to negotiate and renegotiate and evaluate and reevaluate mm-hmm. over and over and over again with somebody who, in the best of circumstances, you feel like I know this person has my back. Right. Right. And that it it evolves because both mm-hmm. people hopefully are evolving, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want a marriage started, let's say, at 24, looking the exact same at 34 right. or 44 because right. what that means is growth has not happened. It means it's time to move on. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of couples in recovery initially, what they need is some definite, this is what we're going to do and here's the solution mm-hmm. to this problem. Um, it, it's almost like a a brace to help the relationship grow in and support the relationship. And then, then they realize like we're outgrowing this brace mm-hmm. and we have to move more to, this is going to be a little more open-ended. Right. Um, this is going to be a little less certain from day to day. Um, and both of those things, I think bring up a myriad of feelings for both partners in the relationship. Some can feel really constricted and really limited by the brace, uh-huh. by the structure and others can feel really unsupported and uncertain when, it's time to open this up and, and get a little more organic. Right. Um, and, and I always say it's less about the right way to do it and more about the commitment to talk about the process. Yeah. I remember being um, early in our marriage and, you know, I, I had been socialized into what my role was, even though we didn't have kids and um, both of us were working. So we were that, you know, double income, no kids couple for the first couple of years of our marriage. And, um, 
I had I had not gotten the dishes done or whatever, and then I had left someplace and I came home and my husband had done them. And I felt so much guilt. Hmm. Like I wasn't being a good wife or mm-hmm. I wasn't doing my job and I was imposing. Mm-hmm. All of those things that come up when it's like, oh, I broke the rule and, you know, is he mad? Is he upset? And I said something to him like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't get that done. This happened. I had to go here. And, uh, you know, because I'm not one that generally likes to leave dirty dishes. And he just looked at me and he's like, I don't think the dishes care who do them. Like, it's about the dishes. Right? And he's like, and I'm pretty sure I'm capable of doing just as good of a job as you. And he's kind of like, why are you apologizing? Like, I was home. Dishes were here. Uh-huh. You were gone. Like, I can do them too. And, and I was just kind of like, oh. But it really made me... You know, there's still times where my kids, you know, as teenagers, college students, they'll call him instead of me. And there's part of me that my social conditioning still is mm-hmm. like, what am I doing wrong that they didn't call me? Yeah. And I have to, like, take a deep breath and be like, I am so grateful they have a dad. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes they call me first, mm-hmm. but they don't always call me first. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful that they have a dad that sometimes they're just like, dad, here's what's going on. What do you think? Or yeah. what do I do about this? Or dad, did I tell you this? Right. And I'm really grateful for that. But I have to calm my mm-hmm. social conditioning down and be like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's not that's not what we've decided to do. I think there's a lot of personal gender wounds that um, definitely get knocked around mm-hmm. in in relationship work. You know, I've worked with men who have had, had to come face-to-face with um, their own history aside, just the fact that they are a tall, big male, that mm. they have a scary physical mm-hmm. presence. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had men in my office cry or like, I didn't ask, I don't want to give that feeling. I've tried to mm. be so careful not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of ownership that we need to be able to do in our, our marriages around the legacy of our gender. Mm-hmm. Not that we made it happen, but right. we do represent that for our spouse. Right. Um, and, and that that is a real issue. Right. E- even if it's not one I'm giving you personally, it's because of my maleness, because of my femaleness, I am part of that story for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be, especially where in, in the coupleship, there has been an imbalance of power. Or there has been a lot of blame going back and forth. That can be a really difficult space to mm-hmm. start to step into with each other. Where mm-hmm. we say, I know I didn't do this to you, but I I represent it for you. Right. And and that ability sometimes for men to understand the longstanding history of female oppression and what that mm-hmm. means for females. And at the same time for females to understand that while men may not be oppressed, there's a downside to their role as well yeah that like you were talking about just some of the pressure to provide Mm -hmm. and maybe they do provide but it's always that pressure to do it right Mm -hmm. maybe they provide very well but what if they didn't Mm -hmm. right or what if their job goes away like that's Mm -hmm. that there's never a guarantee to that or what if the way that they provide is something that they hate doing right right yeah yeah um this is shifting gears just a little bit but um in, in early recovery, I, I often hear people when I recommend them to read a book or listen to a podcast, you know, they'll, they'll tell me a few things that they got from it. And then they'll usually say, like, I heard my spouse all over in this. Mm. Um, and, you know, in, in early recovery, I'll usually gently redirect back and say, well, that's good awareness. And mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm glad that you can build that, but we really need to keep this focused on you now. Um, as we get into relational work, the more work you do on yourself, I think the more clues, breadcrumbs you may have into what your spouse may have experienced mm-hmm. or what their issues may have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's few people in the world who are more equipped to see my blind spots than my wife is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just going to get more keen with time. And right? <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that couples coming into um, therapy become, like you were saying, keenly aware that my partner really knows me, yeah. right? Like all of me, the parts that people outside of my house, right, don't necessarily mm-hmm. see, my partner does. Mm-hmm. And in the past, maybe the dynamic was we pretend we don't know that about each other yeah. unless we're fighting or mm-hmm. we just pretend we don't know it, which also is going to stump intimacy mm-hmm. instead of saying, I know that. Or there can be this very <laughs> earnest, um, like, hey, I see it. Like, I, I remember mm-hmm. my wife and I would have a lot of conversations about how messed up my family was, which was true. Um, I wasn't in complete denial about it. <laughs> I don't think either of us recognized the scope of that um, and are, are still having a really fun discovery journey on that. But um, there can be this very earnest, like, oh, well, your family was this way, so this is what we need to do for you, and then you'll be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I I do believe in giving our, our spouses the benefit of the doubt, and I believe that that can come from a very I-want-to-help-you space. Uh-huh. But as, as the relationship progresses, and especially as we get into recovery, we have to develop some tact around that. Right. Um, we have to be able, if it's necessary for us to be the one to deliver that message to our spouse, we have to do that in a way that's kind mm-hmm. and supportive um, and that's not attacking Mm-hmm. Or that's not presenting like, oh, I know all the ways that you're broken, and lucky you, you have me as a guy. Right, right. Um, and that's that's a very uncomfortable space, I think, for couples to go into when we get past a lot of the initial conflict and the stabilization. That then a lot of the relationship work becomes talking to each other about how we see each yeah. other and how we experience each other. And and that's the piece I think that sometimes is unsettling to to couples too as they're in therapy is the relational work doesn't always feel good. No. Uh, but if they'll stick with it, it generally um, increases, I would say the majority of the time it increases intimacy. Yeah. And it increases the bond and it increases trust and security. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not usually fun or painless mm-hmm. because we're talking about really personal and sometimes embarrassing mm-hmm. or sometimes sometimes the shame comes up, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about all of that and the other person's saying, yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. But it's not a deal breaker. Yeah. And, and that's some of the most um, bonding, I think, and, and beautiful moments that I witness in therapy when when a partner can acknowledge you know, whether it's addict or partner, when one acknowledges like, yeah, I do know that about you. And I do Mm -hmm. see that. And, but they have a beautiful way of reminding their partner, like, this is not deal breaker stuff to Mm -hmm. me. Like I'm still in this Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that I know those things about you. Right. Like it makes me know you in a way that nobody else does. And that in some ways becomes one of the main servings in a healing relationship is that, we, we do see that in each other. Right. And it's not like, I save this for when we're at rock bottom and we need some solutions, or I mm-hmm. save this for when I'm mad at you. It becomes part of the regular discourse. Right. Um, it, it becomes a functional part of the relationship that we see each other, and, and that, that the message definitely is, this is not a deal breaker for me. It's yeah. a reality for you. Right. But I'm also keenly aware that 
you're human just like I'm human. And so, of course, you're not going to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of that um, deciding that my imperfect partner is the perfect partner for me. Yeah. Right? And I can live with these imperfections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the last point that we want to hit, of course, is all about sex. Um, Because... I get married if there's not going to be sex? Yeah, well, yeah, that that is a good question. Sometimes we have to ask our clients. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's a lot that shifts for men and women. And, and what I see uh, for men is this growing awareness that they, and we, we've talked about this, it feels like a lot lately um, on the podcast, but this growing awareness that they're not just this biological, I've got to have sex machine, but mm-hmm. they actually have emotions around it. They have preferences. There's things that they're comfortable with and things that they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and bringing, being able to bring that into a relational space um, where, you know, your, your spouse may approach you for sex and maybe for the first time you're saying, I'm not really in the mood right now. Mm-hmm. Or that's not what I want to do right now. Right, because um, they start to recognize that what they really prefer is quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not that, you know, we're talking 100% quality all the time or mm-hmm. nothing. Again, let's not get into that black or white thinking. But just kind of that recognizing, like, if I'm just kind of in a eh, place, mm-hmm. that's probably not the place I want to be approaching sex with. Because yeah. sex, surprisingly, would then be meh. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that surprises a lot of men and their partners. Mm-hmm. That he'll start saying no or not mm-hmm. right now or can we prepare for this. And and what I hear sometimes with females then is this whole like, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, I really got annoyed when he was constantly pawing at me and always asking for sex. But now that he's not always doing it, or sometimes he says, no, I don't know that that's what I want to do, but let's cuddle or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's like, did I gain weight? Are you not attracted mm-hmm. to me? Like, wait, what's going on? And she becomes more aware of the role that sex played for her, yeah. which she didn't have to be because he always wanted it. So her job was to bat him away mm-hmm. and occasionally let him in. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden she's saying, oh, I relied too much on his sexuality. Mm-hmm. And now that his sexuality maybe is more balanced or more in a healthy ownership place, I don't know what to do with mine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at our at our dating and recovery intensive, um, I saw several light bulbs go off for the people that we worked with around no being an integral part of a relationship mm. and no being an integral part of sex. Mm-hmm. And not just no because I don't like you, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's no because I don't want that. Right. And um, in, in a lot of marriages we conceptualize it as this is a relationship where there's no need for no or yes because we Mm -hmm. read each other's minds Mm -hmm. and that's just fantasy Um, right that's not how it works and so for the the coupleship there's a big adjustment around what no now means Mm -hmm. and can we have a no that's a mutual no for us even though one of us may not agree with it or want it to be no Right. But can we can we respect that no and not have that turn into a power battle? Right. Or can we and can we see that that no may be a very loving, supportive thing for the relationship, mm-hmm. right? That when I say no, not right now or no, I'm not really in a place to give that mm-hmm. that that actually is a healthy boundary that keeps mm-hmm. the relationship in a healthy connected place. Mhm. Mhm. Um yeah, I feel like we could do a whole episode on just what changes sexually in mm-hmm. couples. And maybe we will. Yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned. Um, so thanks for listening today. 
We want to remind you at at the end of another episode that your story matters, and remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.